0: Welcome to the Innocents, where a storm is brewing. This is no K-Cup storm. The storm that's brewing would fill a giant percolator. You know, one of those massive silver ones found at one of those large family get-togethers during the winter. Sixty mile-per-hour winds howl and thrash against the side of the Innocents. Sideways rain splashes against the windows. And when residents look out the window, it looks like the building is in a car wash. And birds, yes, the birds, but not like the movie. These birds were in no control as their small birdie bodies knock against the windows, creating a terrible drumbeat to never-ending downpours. And with the power just restored, will the thunder, lightning, and wind black out the innocents once more? This is Blinding Innocence. The killer has been hiding out in every conceivable place, biding their time, waiting for the clock to tick down to midnight. It's to be known that Betty Lou was discovered in the empty room with all the knives, but with no fingerprints on the handles, they set her free. She had alibis for every single murder really clown face killer? Like, you couldn't have placed the knives in Betty Lou's hands to put her fingerprints all over them? You just, what, left them in the bedroom with her? You're terrible at this. And what are you gonna do when the clock strikes midnight and everyone is in the lobby? Are you going to wave that feather at them? I can't even. I mean, the writers are botching the storyline up. better play out with some kind of integrity, otherwise I may just quit watching. Henrik finished his giant glass of prune juice as he walked through Danica's apartment, and he began to feel it rumble in his tumble. Ever since Shady Business told Danica that she could be the next victim, his intestines knotted up and he could not go. He walked to Danica's bedroom to find her packing. You can't be serious. Darling, Miss Business was as serious as a heart attack. If I am to survive this, I must leave. But your conquest, Henrik said, Danica looked down at her bandaged hand and said, It will have to wait. She clicked her suitcase shut, turned, and handed Henrik a large envelope. Let me go with you, he said, ignoring the envelope. She placed the envelope in his hands. I'm leaving you in charge of my finances. If you want me to return, you'll do this for me. And if I don't, he asked, then, darling... I may not return. I might just move on and begin a new conquest without finishing this one." He reluctantly took it and nodded. She grabbed her suitcase off the bed and headed for the door. He grabbed her wrist and tried to pull her close. In this storm, you can't leave now. Darling, I'm from New York City. We don't get wet. So she walked out the door and he followed holding on to the only thing that would bring her back. They rode the elevator down together, their hands clasped tightly together, and when the door opened, they walked out into the hall, and Henrik leaned in to kiss Danica for what might be the last time. He let go of her hand, clutched the envelope of financials to his chest, and watched her go. Her heels clicked down the hall. She placed a red, large-brimmed hat on her head, nodded at George the doorman, and pushed her way out to the revolving doors. Then, a flash of light so bright illuminated the windows in front of the innocents, and the thunder that boomed after the strike shook the building. Danica! Henrik shouted. He ran through the revolving doors to find Danica lying on the ground in the pouring rain, her large red hat completely black. George, the doorman! Henrik cried back behind him. Help! Call an ambulance! Danica's been struck by lightning! Oh my goodness, the clown-faced killer is on top of the building, throwing down thunderbolts like Zeus! Okay, not really. But what an unfortunate turn of events for Danica and Henrik. Hmm. Well, behind the innocents, however, in this torrential rain, Natasha and Jameson a bit freaked out about their run-in with the ghost of Deborah Cleverpatch. They decided it was best for the two of them to disappear for a little while. They left a note outside Daphne's door, or Deborah's door, whatever. They left a note outside the door of the person who's helping them plan their wedding, and they said they'd be back in time for the wedding. With Jameson behind the wheel, they drove out the back parking lot the same time the large lightning bolt struck down in front of the complex. Whoa. But what I'm curious about is, how is Betty Lou faring? Thunder rumbled as Betty Lou sat at her kitchen table, a cup of tea in her hands. She trembled. Nards and Wiener, along with a few police officers, had just left, but they unveiled a terrible truth about the clown-faced killer. They were going to go along with Jonathan's plan, but there was a part of the idea that Betty Lou didn't like. Sure, she was always kidnapped, and that was out of her control, and she was fine with that. It wasn't her fault she was just so kidnappable. There was just something about her, a joie de vivre that was wooed bad people to her and made them take her hostage. What could she say? Betty Lou was timeless. But what Nards and Wiener had just suggested was, out of her comfort zone, drug her, knock her out, tie her to a chair in a dingy small bathroom, fine. She was game. She'd done it so many times. She was about to write a how-to book. But be the prey... To just sit there with no ability to defend herself and just hope a killer would descend upon her? Oh, and in front of everyone at the Innocence. She was only a successful victim when she was one-on-one with her tormentor. What kind of victim would she be when everyone was watching her? Oh, the shaking wouldn't stop, and the tea wasn't helping. She threw the teacup across the kitchen. She was not terrified because they were forcing her to stand face to face with the killer once more. She had stage fright. at the pent-ultimate scene of the season, the grand finale of the season finale. (gasps) (laughs) Sorry. Anywho. The storm continues to wreak havoc on the innocents. Birds are being shoved up against the building left and right. Their poor little birdie bodies are dropping to the ground on the side of the building. Oh. George the doorman just got off the phone, trying to calm Rebecca landing Hamananana's grandmother that it was not, in fact, the apocalypse, and that it was just a very bizarre storm. George the doorman was aware of the plan as well, and he stood at his desk, waiting for everyone to begin to coming down. He looked at the clock, and it was just minutes until midnight. All of the tenants of the Innocent stood around the lobby, waiting for whatever ridiculous thing Jonathan was going to do. Betty Lou, just as they had planned it, stood in the middle. She had placed a terrible-smelling oil concoction on her. Jonathan got it from Shady Business. She created some kind of oil spell or something for Betty Lou to rub on her neck and wrists like an eau de parfum. It had a rotten cheese smell, forcing others to keep their distance from her. Betty Lou wore her most fabulous red dress, you know, the one with the slit up the side. It allowed her to show so much cleavage, too. No one would ever know that she'd been on the show for sixty years. But I'm nowhere near that age or older, she said to the camera, winking. <laughs> Wait a second. You can't do that, Betty Lou. Why not? She asked. Because it's bad writing to introduce a different format to the show. Honey, I never, nor will I ever, be poorly written. I, I'm not saying you're poorly written. What I'm saying is how it's bad writing to introduce a You know, like, breaking the fourth wall when it's never been done before. And before I could finish saying what I was gonna say, I was interrupted by the killer. I finally have you where I want you. The mechanical voice of the clown-faced killer said, and out from the crowd, all dressed in black with that hideous latex mask, the killer grabbed Betty Lou's head and put a knife to her throat.
1: I've been waiting to do this for years, and now I have an
0: audience. No, Betty Lou shrieked. Kill one of the other tenants. They're they're not as important as I am. Just as the killer was about to drag the knife across Betty Lou's throat, gasps coming from all of the tenants, unsure of what to do, the killer started to gag.
1: What is that terrible smell? I always knew you were a rancid lady, but that smell is just awful.
0: How dare you insult my Eau de Parfum, Betty Lou shrieked. She threw her elbow behind her, got the killer right in the chest, stomped on their foot, reached behind her, grabbed the killer, and threw them to the ground in a wild kung fu move. The tenants, they erupted in applause and cheers. Hooray! Nards and Wiener stepped out of the crowd with ridiculously large revolvers and pointed them both at the killer, splayed out on the floor. <laughs> Don't even think about getting up, or Wiener and I will pump you full of lead, Nard said. Who the hell are you, dear? Wiener asked. You're obviously not one of the tenants in the building. But before the killer could answer the question, Shady Business shrieked, Oh, sirs, no! Everyone looked to see some invisible force starting to tug on the latex clown mask. It pulled, stretching the clown mask to make the ridiculous features even more hellish. Betty Lou could swear she heard growling. The invisible force tugged and tugged, growling, and then with a pop, the mask flew off, and it was Carried away by the invisible dog that was Ulcer's, laying on the floor, right in front of everyone, was another Betty Lou Glick. Betty, boo! Betty Lou shrieked. You have a twin sister? Nards asked. Betty Lou nodded and said, I should have known it was you. This is the second time you've done this to me.
1: I couldn't resist myself. It's been such a long time since I got to torment you, dear. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for all of your horrible
0: friends and that invisible dog. You are never going to get away with it, Betty Lou said. And what's up with your voice? I thought it was a machine.
1: Honey, I got my voice surgically changed the minute I got out of prison for trying to kill you back when we were mere teenagers. I needed a makeover to make me feel beautiful.
0: You'll never be beautiful, Betty Lou said and grabbed the large revolver right out of Nardz's hand and pointed it at Betty's boo head. And then she pulled the trigger. An explosion of awfulness that I'm not even going to describe happened, and it was just so terribly bad that George the doorman wasn't going to worry about the reappearing stain ever again. Betty Lou threw the gun on what remained of Betty Boo's body, and held out her wrists to Nards and Wiener. Wiener stepped forward, clasped the cuffs around them. They both led Betty Lou in her hot red dress that smelled of death cheese, out of the innocents and in to their squad car. In shock, the rest of the tenants began to walk away, go up the stairs or waited for the elevator to get back to their condos and wait out the storm. And it was a rather large storm, George, the doorman noticed, as he looked at the radar on his computer. And it wasn't going to be over any time soon. Then his phone rang, and when he picked it up, he felt his butthole tighten at the sound of the voice on the other end. I am on my way, and there will be hell to pay, she said. It was Kashmita Rottington and she was very displeased with how the building was being run. George, the doorman, hung up the phone. He might have feared the clown-faced killer, but he feared Kashmina Rottington even more. This is the innocence, where everyone is dying to live? Is Danica still alive after being struck by lightning? What is up with Natasha and Jameson's wedding? And who is Kashmina Roddington? Tune in next season for Blinding Innocence!